welcome to the Twin Geeks 188. This is Calvin here with Renee. Renee, I think it's, is it your third time talking with us? You've been on before. I'm a social worker. I don't do math. I don't know. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I, I also don't do math. I'm a podcaster. It's either the second or the third. I forget. We just, we just talk to ourselves and sometimes people listen to us and uh, that's what podcasting's about. That's what The Twin Geeks is about. Um, we have a wider network of shows, but uh, you featured on this one a few times. We did, um, what did we do? We did uh, A League of Their Own, for sure. Yes, we did. And, and then we did um, Mignons, which, which is Cuties. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, this will be my third then. Cool. Um, I thought those went very well, so I'm very happy to have you back on. I am hosting uh, League of Their Own Trivia on the third. I'm super excited. <laughs> uh, do you do that often? Like, is it like a reoccurring trivia night, or is it like once a year you do your like a League of Their Own special? Um, I'm so they bring me in as so I when I did that one, um, I was a guest. So mm -hmm. I did that as a guest, and then Princess Bride that's up and coming is I opened my big mouth and they just handed it to me. But I wanted to bring up that I did do a League of Their Own trivia back in the summer after we did the podcast. So that's right. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah, yeah you were telling me about that trivia is coming up. Did, did I? Time yeah. is irrelevant. I forget. <laughs> and I don't know if it was on the show, so it's important to bring up. Uh, do, do you have yeah. to like research it yourself and form the questions? Or do they give you kind of like the idea, like an outline of what to do? It depends on what's going on. So League of Their Own, I wrote the questions myself because I know the material well. Princess Bride, if the uh, person who writes it is wrong, I'll probably correct him. Yeah. Okay. Sure. That's probably how it is. Yeah. It's, when, it's hard because like when I know a movie so well, I can just spit off the questions. Like with this specific host, I was actively correcting him in the middle of trivia once <laughs> oh, yelling no. at him across the room and everybody else goes, you know, she's right. <laughs> right. I mean, you can't be wrong and be the trivia host that I mean, it's like it's fact based information, right? You can't have a, another perspective on it. Uh, what makes you good as a trivia host? What what works for you? Uh, so with. When I do films as having a passion for the films and knowing the film and knowing the content, and I think that's what makes the huge difference versus doing a film I have no knowledge about I can just read it but when I actually know the film well um League of Their Own and Princess Bride I'm dressing up so I think that's just the extra that I bring to it yeah versus when I'm just subbing because he's out sick um mm. it's different sometimes I'm like I have no idea what this film is about but I'm just gonna watch it get my bearings and just roll in what's one that you haven't known that was like particularly like, challenging to do surf ninjas <laughs> i don't know what that is so i would i would also liam I, neeson is the villain so that's okay. all we need to know and the whole and, Ro and rob this. rob schneider has red hair and he's supposed to be playing like an 18 year old boy but he's really like maybe 30 so are there experts <laughs> it's so weird ninja that show up to this but i have no idea <laughs> okay. i read it and i'm like i can't believe i watched this movie for all you guys <laughs> right <laughs> It was so, it is an abomination. I do not <laughs> recommend it. It's so weird. I don't know it's, what Surf Ninja is. So Liam Neeson is a villain. And that's all that we need to know. Liam Neeson is okay. a villain. It's just, it's for him, it's kind of worth it. For the rest of it, I was just like, what am I, what's going on? <laughs> what kind of questions would you even ask? I'm, I'm looking at this. This looks like, okay, 1993. Looks like uh, usually movie quotes is match a quote to the character. Okay. Okay. That's, I see. That's typical. Um, for a League of Their Own, one of my questions was, um, how in seconds, how long did Tom Hanks's character urinate for? How long is it? Is it like fifteen? I'm gonna guess. 30, oh no, it's like seventy six seconds. Seventy six. That's a long. Yeah, Madonna's character actually times it. That's right. Yeah, so it's like timed in the film. So there is like time some... in the film. So you actually have like yeah, the content. Right. Um, and there's like some other random things that are fun, like the name of the stadium and. For Princess Bride, it's named the quote to the character. It's, but also sometimes we get a little weird and you have to like name like R O U S, like what do those mean? You know, yeah. it varies. I don't know. It's, it, it varies. I mean, who knows? <laughs> I haven't seen the questions yet. Are you ready for Boys in the Boat trivia night? 
I don't think there's enough people that would attend for no. Boys in the Boat. I mean, if I did it in Everett, because there's the Everett Rowing Association, mm-hmm. they were huge fans of the movie and they got a pre-screening. Like the whole entire Rowing Associations Association saw it early. Yeah. And I was like, oh, they were super excited. So I was like, well, I used to do rowing in college. So like, I'll go see it. Okay, you were what? What were you in rowing? I was a coxswain, coxswain. so I was. Okay. I was, uh, I was the person who yells. Uh, so. <laughs> I think my brother was that when he was in in row, and uh, I'd always take him to his practices. It's yeah. not like a so great I was Bobby Mock sport for me. Yeah, but. so the character, um, the the person Bobby Mock, I was um that role, mm. but clearly not did not do it as well as the history that is Bobby Mock. And I think I'm one of the few people I didn't read the book. I be I know the history. I've the the actual shell itself hangs in U dub. Okay. Yeah. So the clipper hangs um in the U dub boathouse inside, well kept in its beautiful wood pristine. Mm-hmm. But it's, otherwise uh, uh George <laughs> Clooney isn't a great director. I mean, he's competent. No, he made some weird camera choices. Okay, yeah, I don't, I don't anticipate him ever <laughs> having like a good lens on like how to shoot a movie, and this requires some weird things. He did some fisheye lenses. I'm like, why are you what? doing that right now? Why would he do that? <laughs> yeah, so it's this... like you attached a GoPro to the um, Bobby Mox's chest, and then you <laughs> see the stroke coming towards him, and I'm like, okay, I have seen this way too much in the river i don't need to see this again why are we seeing this happen and then you see the reverse of the stroke going to and from bobby mock and i'm like what no no why are we okay i I get you want people to feel it this is not how you feel it a close-up of the oars hitting the riggers um hitting the metal Mm. (laughs) see even my echo doesn't agree with me. Um, close up of like the oars actually hitting the water, or um, what with the catching crab, which is hilarious because they really, if you're out of the sink, you're gonna not hit the water correctly. Those just those are what you want to see. The overhead shots were beautiful. Those of the rhythmic of the all eight oars hitting the water and the boats progressing. Those were is good it, shots. Is it convincing? It's, it's probably not. It's probably not shot in Washington at all, is it? It's no, that's a whole uh, content. That's contention in itself. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Wa- Washington Filmworks did not get the um, contract for them to shoot here, so they shot somewhere else, and so and I don't know why. Is it convincing um, though? Uh, do they do they try to make it Washingtonian at all? Uh, I mean, it just looks like generic lake and generic water it's not like mont lake or something it's not like you're like going through where where the U- uw is i or... have i've actually gone through the cut and i lost uw <laughs> sure. but it, it did not feel like that at all it okay. just um but that's the, sad when they did the regattas like the regattas were in like green lake mm-hmm. um that's where they mostly happen or they're there in like washington or like union yeah i yeah I, Driven and my that's brother where, to some, and... and that's where I lose to UW repeatedly. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. They're uh, really good. I mean, so maybe this is like a, a contentious thing. Maybe you're just like against the UW rowing team. I'm not. No, they're amazing. <laughs> I respect them. They are so good, right? So yes, they're yeah. I actually uh, in California uh, mm-hmm. are eight placed third. Okay. So we actually used somebody else's boat and we placed third, but locally we weren't against UW. So that's part of the issue. Yeah, no, absolutely. they're amazing. I have seen them. It's like when UW goes against Germany, they're just intimidating. Mm-hmm. In the film, George Clooney did not capture that intimidation. That's sad when, because that's like the that's like the climax of the book. Size wise, like, size wise is the physical intimidation of mm-hmm. these uh, Berlin rowers and also the English rowers, where they live for, for this, they train for this. Versus, yeah. we have a bunch of mill workers. We have a bunch of people who grew up. Um, doing you know just they're they're just like you know what I need a scholarship to get through college so they joined rowing okay they were yeah. hard-working people they were scrappy <laughs> and yeah. then you have people in Berlin who were training for this because Hitler made them I mean just beastly people 
I just and... I remember the book. I, I've read the book, so I I have like maybe some context, but um... I felt like the third act Berlin was shortchanged. There were a few things that happened in Berlin that we just didn't get to see that I wanted to see. That's the whole movie to me. So. I know it's yeah. everything that happens in Berlin. Um, they did capture the sickness of the stroke well. They but they focused, I think, most of it on um the stroke pair and Bobby Mock. Um, and then most of it was on um the second seat and his okay. relationship with Joyce, which she eventually marries Joyce and they live a happily life until her passing. That's nice. Um yeah, I mean, at least I I mean, I know the goodness that comes out of it. Uh, but they focus too much on that, and I'm like, it's it's not about Joyce. It's about him talking to the coach in the or house and talking about the trust of the boat and talking about him trusting his team. That's what gets him through it. Not a woman. Mm. <laughs> our representative company that does our, our press screenings, they brought George Clooney out and didn't invite Seattle film critics. So uh, I still haven't seen it. Um, that's a weird. But they invited decision. a bunch of rowing teams to watch it. They mm -hmm. invited the rowers. I, I know I have friends who did rowing i have friends who their children did rowing they absolutely loved it and then there's okay. me and i'm like did we watch the same film our only editor who saw it his mom is a, <laughs> is a massive fan and they went for their holiday visit to the cinema just to watch this and he yeah. did it so um i think it's because i had a more critical eye of the camera angles and yeah. i knew the technical of what they were trying to achieve and i knew the history and i wanted more from berlin i wanted more about them not saluting and i wanted more about the story of berlin and it just felt short-changed yeah. there was some good stuff they did well um i mean it is a true story and they follow he followed the story well it just <laughs> clutie uh, is competent at telling uh -huh. a story with the camera he's nothing more than than competent i think that's fine the story was told but there was extra stuff that could have been edited out to make uh -huh. for more you know you don't want extra stuff when you feel stuff's been left out. That's where it becomes frustrating to like the to weird camera angles. Yeah, right. Don't get weird. It's it's a rowing like a, movie. Yeah, it's um, just the fisheye lens. I was like, ha. Ah. Yeah, also, it, does, it was weird for the time era. I mean, it doesn't always George work. Tony going back to the time era. You know. Yeah. I kind of need it to be like. I a do have a thing for time thing. eras. Okay, you do. <laughs> I do have affinity for time era movies. Let's be honest. What time era are you most drawn to? Just not our time era. Anything not us, not now. Yeah, I, I do gravitate towards the 20s through the 50s. When I, when I know, knew that they took, um, like there's, what was it? Um, Great Gatsby, and they were... Mm -hmm keeping it in the 20s i got so excited about bosserman doing that and maintaining that there was still modernist to it but the costuming and a lot of stuff was still kept in that era so i was ecstatic i'm like most interested in that generation of writers like that hemingway fitzgerald like sherwood anderson types i mean i named my daughter after ezra pound who's in that like group of 1920s writers from america who expatriated to france so those are my aesthetics too. I just like the twenties. So, um, I know there's all the the cliches about like white men always want to go back in time to when it was good for them and just good for them. But um, I mean, back in the forties, it was escapism. That's when yeah. they were making films, and the films back then were escapism from the war, and they were bringing joy. And I think that's why I like some of those films. But also, when people go back into that era and do it well and bring mm. back that film escapism it reminds me of those old classic films. And I think that's part of why I like it so much. It's genius because there's like this worldwide conflict and context for why you're making the movie, but then you're also making escapist films. So, so they're loaded with meaning despite just being entertaining and you could do, you could get everything you need from that. And now we might do one thing or the other. Um, I mean, I would, I mean, Jojo rabbit was very much, 30s 40s but it was not escapism it was something no. else but i yeah. still enjoyed the costume and and it for its own merits uh, but the costuming was the thing with that movie like oh, scarlett yeah, johansson's costume was really neat yeah. um i don't want to say the nazi costumes are good but they're there they're you know they're interesting but it's it was 
within reason it was true to the era which this film too the costumes were true to the era they did get it right he he got they did get it right for boys in the boat um, I, like I mean that was one thing i appreciated yeah but i glanced over i wasn't focusing <laughs> on it i wasn't i was focusing on the other things about boys in the boat because sure. my brain was too busy if i don't either i they're inconsequential or they're so distracting that I'm distracted or they're amazing. And I just fall in love. Like, okay. It's one of those three, three modes. Yeah. Yeah, For me, it is. And you're a correspondent when we need to talk about fashion or costumes. I think you're the best person I know to talk to. So there's a couple film critics in Seattle that have brought me in uh, (laughs) to screenings and be like, Hey, I need your opinion. I'm like, okay. Okay. I might have to remember that (laughs) if I have one, that's like a costume heavy. If you ever want to go, it's open invitation. So, you have to give me a heads up. Okay, yeah, I'll give you advance notice. If there's like a costume drama, more than welcome to join me. So um, that's a good reason to bring you in for today because it's Phantom Thread. We're in the nearly in the new year. It's posting around the new year, um, and this is like my new year film now. It just has that that moment that's so elegant, which we could get into later. But uh, costumes first, I think, is where we oh, yeah. start. I mean, that's kind of why I was started talking about time era and costumes because Absolutely. this is, I want to say, is it late 40s or is it early 50s where they take place in this one? They don't really tell you. It just no, has that it has just, that feel. Yeah, you just that, feel it. Has that has that essence to it. And he's literally a dressmaker. Hmm. And they have a style. And for me, it's the shape and style, it leans a little more 50s in the conservativeness of it. But Looks like it is 50s. 50s London is, is kind is of it? like okay. the setting there. Yeah. Got it. But I never really it, looked so. too far into it. Well, yeah, Just you by the costume the alone, I was like, well, I can kind of read the room. It's, I mean, mm-hmm. even from his assistants and their wardrobe to his polished suits, I mean, the attention to detail they put on just the extras in the background and the leads and the evolution of um, even Alma's costuming was, I, I was, I watched it more than once just to pay attention to the, the dress and the dresses um, and the costuming mm. throughout it. And it's so enchantingly about, you know, bodies and form and how things fit a person and, how people fit other people in a way. Um, and it is about uh, um, what's what's hidden beneath, like what are the finer details of costuming, like like the phantom thread in reference to like, what is it? The threading underneath a, a suit jacket that's like, it is a hidden message about his mother or something who once ran, ran the fashion house that he runs now. I think it's for him, it was he can control the fabric. He can control the pattern. He mm. can... He has the control of what he wants to do and how he wants to do it. And so their whole relationship is about control. And I think that that is the thread is who's pulling the thread of control is how I looked at it. That's perfect. That's like a perfect description of what's going on because there is some like submissive domination thing going in their relationship. Obviously that's where it's heading uh, with uh, him needing to allow control i think for men in oh he needs society, he needs control he, he needs oh. control but also maybe it's like a pleasure for him to be dominated something he doesn't have since his mother was gone possibly it seems like there's that open space in his life that she's filling um, is this an insane theory or is this just is this a good reading I mean, of this <laughs> the whole the whole him him having the the drug-induced conversation with his mother and connecting to that mm. is him in an uncontrolled moment. And I think that's him realizing in order he has to let go of control for him to get the one thing he craves. What does he crave, do you think? what is He craves what is his relationship with his mother. Right. I and mean, uh... and so in order for him to have those lucid hallucinations, he needs to give up control and allow him to be poisoned for yeah. that to be happened but and by him giving up that control 
and allowing to happen, he can embrace those moments of delusion and hallucination and achieve what he's that hole fill the hole that he wants which can't be filled by alma it can be filled by she's a she's a vehicle for it right she could bring him there she could bring him to the hole to to unbury it or to fill it back in but she can't do that she can't become his mother his sister his sister understands him his sister understands what he Mm. the control he needs she can also see through um his ticks and calls him on it but she also has no control over him and she recognizes that but she can at least bring it to his attention and allow him to make the decisions and then alma comes in and she's like alma sees it too and she starts to push back right and his sister's yeah. like i like her i like this for you <laughs> it is good for him because he's needed he's never had that yeah it's, it's no. his mother so um and there's that you know Almost like the creation itself is filling that hole temporarily each time. Um, and for many people, that's kind of what drives them to this like extreme excellence in, in life is that they're they're trying to fight something or, or fill some need that they, they haven't had. And that seems to be part and parcel with him, like making the dresses and, and how he runs his, his whole uh, industry there. It's, I mean, he, he wants to be recognized to be the best. He's an elitist and only wants certain people to wear his gowns. Hmm. And for me, I found that irritating. Cause I'm like, well, doesn't everybody deserve to feel the beauty of this? Like, what? I didn't get like, that, but. <laughs> oh, is, well. Is that like old fashioned? Uh, maybe maybe it's still like concurrent with fashion beliefs that, that we it's, make these dresses for a certain kind of person. It's it is high end elitism completely, okay. and he feels he's earned that right. And it's, I mean, it's no different than going to, you know, a high end suit or dressmaker and having Coco Chanel like make you a dress or something. Mm. It's but like even they they had a um sample dresses that people could you know choose from and then have it made for them. Like they but they were mm. gowns worn by Alma and other models. Like they were which is was very of the time. Mm-hmm. Um same thing, but it was private. It was it wasn't like going to fashion week and everybody's showing it to the common person to get a ticket. Like you had to be somebody to get in there. Right. It seems to be, it's well, hmm, PTA said that he's like designed it around his study of like Cristobal Balenciaga and that whole fashion house during its peak, which was said even by the other brands to be like what everyone was following at that point in time. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, the elitism read read to me, and I just me. I'm just like an everyday person. I'm like, but what about me? Yeah, I want to feel pretty too, and then I just move on. <laughs> sure. Yeah. As I'm like actively like knitting my own leggings, watching the movie, like I'm like, ah, whatever. You're like, whatever. I'm making something beautiful for myself to feel myself to you know yeah. to be what I what I wanted and. Um, and you can make that for yourself and the way they're only making it for for someone elite maybe um yours is more personally focused i mean i have i used i have talents in sewing and crochet and knit and so but i something of that caliber is a whole nother level it it's is, unbelievable right it is a um, fine art craft that I mean, as I mentioned, he. There's one scene where Alma's like, I don't like this fabric. Yeah. And everybody's like, but it's good fabric. She's like, yeah, but I just don't like it. And she pushes back. And I'm I'm actually looking at the dress and how it drapes. And the fabric was chosen for how they sewed it. Mm. I didn't like the fabric either. I was like, I'm like, I wouldn't wear that. Sure. So um... it's a little stiff. 
Yeah, maybe there's maybe it's not even so much clothes to be worn. It's like clothes to be seen in or something. There's like this division where where Alma also is a regular person working at a restaurant. Um, she's not come into this as like a high society socialite ready for this whole, uh, you know, all the context of what happens in in like the Woodhouse uh, or the what is it the Woodcock uh, Manor there. Woodcock, she's not yeah. ready, yeah. And when you see her later in a dress she designed herself for dinner, it's something she is comfortable in. Some, but it's it's still for her. It's high end, it's classy, but it's something she's comfortable to move in and to do something in. Versus again, a stiff fabric where she's like, I can stand here forever and not move. Like mm. she's just she's a she's a hanger. Yeah, like she's just her clothes. Like it's she's they're wearing her she's not wearing them but the dress she mm. made later the dinner that she um did for woodcock she feels confident in the dress she's because she's invested in it it's more she's made it for her taste after they told her she has no taste i'm like what you, i would wear that dress you made later i'm like what are you talking about <laughs> sure i'm also watching it from a i guess a different perspective of not understanding fashion whatsoever uh and so I just understand people who are exceptionally skilled at things. I I understand Daniel Day-Lewis. He took a whole year to learn how to make dresses because he's such a method actor, like one of the last great ones of those. And he took a whole year just learning until he could make a convincing dress that Balenciaga would have made at like the height of their design, which is just like, this guy can become an expert in anything just by focusing all the depth of his attention into this one narrow pathway. That's what I think made him one of the greatest actors. He, I mean, he learned a new speech pattern. He yeah. learned a different way of presenting his physical body to become this character. And when I watch it, I lose him as a person. I, I can't I see too. him in his other roles. It's hmm. I often forget he has other roles because I or I'm like, wait, he did that. Like it's because his roles are so he, he does become he throws himself so deeply in these characters that he just becomes them for the longest time. I heard an interview by somebody and they were saying like he was walking by and like he hit his head on something and like they apologize and he basically kind of yelled at him as woodcock because he was still oh. in that mode <laughs> okay yeah this is like those those stories of the the succession guy how he's ignore he's annoying the whole cast by being the method actor but but if it's daniel day lewis i think you just accept it if he's that great and he's like one of those like once in a generation talents um who also this is his last film um so this is the last time he went fully in there's like something to retiring and not just becoming the old man in the cinema. I think it's a good thing to make room for new voices too. I didn't realize this was one of his last roles. Oh yeah, this is that. it. Okay. Um, which makes it even more monumentous. He's working with Paul Thomas Anderson, who is a good collaborator for him, I think, because PTA also, I think, has the same um tendencies as woodcock in a way the way he makes his movies are so meticulously him they couldn't come from any other perspective um I mean, to my understanding pta wasn't using a cinematographer he was using himself and his crew to create the camera work and create yeah. um which there was a couple scenes where it's you can see that precision from PTA yeah. where um, the scene where after he gets sick, after making mm -hmm. the wedding dress and you start with the wedding dress and Alma and Woodcock, and then you it slowly pushes in and pushes in to where it's just focusing on Alma and Woodcock towards the end. Mm -hmm. And it's so gradual, but it also creates a sense of you get context and then intimacy by the end. But I'm like, my brain is trying to process the fact that there was no cinematographer. This was PTA 
directing his people and what he was looking for, and they executed it so well. I think he had to do that with this and um, Licorice Pizza as well. Uh, his usual cinematographer, um, uh, Robert Elswit, I think is his name. He wasn't available for those movies. So, But PTA emphasized that it's his team. It's It's a whole team of people directing that, so... Um, yeah, he didn't put his name on cinematography, but I right. you can see his hand on it. You can see it everywhere, and somehow that makes it these two movies the most PTA movies for me. I think these are my two favorites of his. The Master is also up there in a different way. That's a, that's a very different movie, though. I don't think I've seen that one. I have to go back and look. I don't know. That's a crazy movie. It would be a good one for another show one day. Um, PTA also is one of my favorite directors. I think I'm. I was ready to love the movie. I felt prepared because of you know Boogie Nights and Let There Be Blood and uh, everything that he's done just has resonated with me at such an intense level. And when I went it and saw it in the cinema, I was like. That's it. I'm going to make a website. I'm going to start writing about movies. Like This was like the movie where I'm like, I'm in. I can't just sit and watch anymore. I have to do something with this. I keep forgetting that he... Um, there's a few that he's did, which Punk, Punk Drunk Love is part oh, yeah. of his. And I, for some reason, I'm like, my brain doesn't like remember. <laughs> like... That is his because it's so different from Phantom Thread. It's so different. It is. The, uh, all of his are pretty unique in a way. Like Inherent Vice doesn't have a lot to do with like Punch Drunk Love or Phantom Thread or Licorice Pizza. Um, the, you know, there are a few that are have common threads. Like you could say like Boogie Nights and Inherent Vice and, and uh, Licorice Pizza might have a, a thread in them. Um I'm using thread quite a bit here. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, collaboratively, he's worked with Radiohead quite a bit. He filmed some of their music videos and uh, Anima, the one for um, Tom York's uh, solo project a few years ago. So Johnny Greenwood does the score here, who's from Radiohead, and it's just uh, it's so stunning. I just listened to it. Uh, it's one of those scores I could put on for any activity, for writing, especially. Well, there's times where the score gives you context to what's going on. It sets the tone mm. when um, there's no words. And I think the score really adds a lot to it. So it totally makes sense <laughs> based on who the, the scorist is. Oh, yeah. I mean, Johnny Greenwood is just like... Um, that's the thing. Radiohead was always a very cinematic band and they worked with like the, the biggest directors. They worked with David Fincher, Jonathan Glazer, Paul Thomas Anderson. Like they weren't really fucking around at all. They were uh, going for the top talent who directs movies to direct, you know, three minute music videos. And um, it makes sense that Tom York became uh, a scorist as well as Johnny Greenwood. They both have so much texture in their music. Um and Greenwood's just like commitment and expertise also I think matches the same thing. I think that's what makes it so special to me is that these three men of Johnny Greenwood, Paul Thomas Anderson, and Daniel Day-Lewis have this like specialization that's so close to Woodcock. So I see it in each of them in some way. But would you also say that they don't release control in the same way that Woodcock does? Yeah, I would. I would say that they. Because that's what I'm looking towards. I'm like, well. That's true. Um, In some way that that does seem to be. Well, maybe. I don't know. I don't really know how it is. for. That's the question. Because it's because those three have worked together. Right. uh, Before. So it's more of is it because there's mutual trust that they can trust each other and give control to each other so there's like with woodcock by the end he learns to give Mm. trust of control over to alma so is it in collaboration that they they're you can release control you can release uh, for example we're talking about boys in the boat you learn Mm. to trust the boat you learn to trust your crew same thing is 
over time, have they learned to trust each other that they can release control and trust that the other person is going to carry their vision or carry what they need to do to hold up their end. Hmm. That makes sense. And uh, I think it's all just like from Greenwood's and especially it's all, um, well, it's all piano and uh, strings. It's very interesting. It doesn't, it's not even modeled after, after like 1950s uh, English music because they thought it was too twee. Uh, there, there is like a, a it's very delicate, there. which fits its time. Yeah. And I think you're right because they're not relenting any control over what they're doing because Daniel Day-Lewis doesn't break when he hits his head and Johnny Greenwood doesn't compromise on anything. Paul Thomas Anderson's only made PTA movies. It's, um, I think you're right that that it doesn't like perfectly match. I just think they see this kind of significant man who they admire for this reason, and maybe it draws them together toward this thing in some way. Because there's there's a couple scores that are only played within certain scenes that aren't played again, and there's there's a couple scores that are repeated. Yeah, it's very intentional. It's extremely intentional. And it's just, you don't pick up on it unless you watch as many times as I did. Like, because I watched a couple of years ago, then I rewatched it again here twice, I think. So I've seen it multiple times um, over the course of a couple of years. And it's, and there was, there were some notes and keys, which were all of it seemed to fit Mm. just so perfectly like nothing seemed out of place with um the the composing with the music or the camera work like it all i don't want to use flawless but it was so well crafted i mean it is a stunning film there was one person who kept telling me for the longest time for me to watch this that i would love it and i just held my feet you yeah. didn't see it in theater. You saw it more recently, no, maybe. I, okay. I, yeah. So I saw it. Um, I was late to it. And it was somebody that um, was in a film group. And they kept telling me, I need to watch it. I need to watch it. And I'm like, I will eventually. And they're like, no. You know, trying to. <laughs> watch it now. Yeah. Well, they kept saying, you will like it. And then finally, it came to viewing. And the first time I watched it was in, like, late summer 2019. Okay. Somewhat recent. So relatively recent. Yeah. So I was like two years late to it. And I was like, oh, they were right. Like I was like, and I actually, which is hard for me is to tell this person specifically that he was right. <laughs> him sure. and I don't get a, we don't agree on a lot of things. <laughs> um, yeah. Our, our taste in movies d- 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 vary greatly. Um, so I was, that's why I was surprised. He kept recommending this. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm not going to like this. And I was like, okay, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, you pick, you totally nailed this one on me. Like, it almost makes it worse when someone that you don't agree with seems to have found something that is so you. Yeah. Like, I was so hard to admit it. I was like, nope, I'll admit <laughs> it. Like, I will, I will shove my foot in my mouth and give credit where credit's due. And, um, Mm. but you know otherwise it's i mean the person does love more historical films and older classic films and Mm. i was going through a lot of classic and older films at the time so i think that's different types of films but Mm. still um so i think that's kind of because of this taking place in the early 50s i think that's kind of maybe why and my love for costuming i don't know sense i i mean i think it's uh great renee movie too i think it i think it suits you well and uh, i mean that's why i would oh the dysfunction of it (laughs) (laughs) i related to the dysfunction of it so much Mm. i was like oh Oh. i do love like a hot mess in a film like the drama yeah and there's like several things like there's like a tension there there's sexual tension and there's a feeling there and i i find so much in that kind of drama and that kind of hot mess specifically that I'm so captivated by that I cannot look away from ever. Um, but there I, also wasn't any sexuality either. There was a balance of having the sexual tension without being explicit. It almost makes which, it bigger. 
um i mean when they did finally kiss i was like oh this is the they're actually showing it this is a moment okay <laughs> but there wasn't it wasn't gratuitous it was so the line was so delicately done i mean even when she was in like a muslin gown in in her um just her sheath, her nightgown. Hmm. And he just comments. He goes, your breasts are small. She's like, I know. Like, taking it back. He goes, no, 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 no. You know, like, he was trying to give her a compliment, but it really wasn't yeah. going over well. I was like, this is awkward, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Like, all those tensions make it yeah. really interesting. Um, yeah. I... I'm like, this is not how you impress the woman because you're trying to impress her right now, but this is fantastic. Yeah. Because it's so awkward and genuine. Like it's it's not overinflated. Like I'm like, how many times have people accidentally said the wrong thing trying to do the right thing? I'm like, it's so relatable and tragic, but I'm here for it. And I know I have or that many I think everyone has. They they try to say something complimentary. Like I Maybe I like this thing about you that isn't what everyone else sees and isn't the socially expected thing. And someone's like, why would you say that to me? <laughs> that would be a terrible compliment. I understand in some way what he was doing. Yeah. Or like making the dresses. Maybe that maybe it would suit her better in, in that body shape. I don't really know how fashion works with bodies. But I see the runway uh, models and I see their frame and sizes and it seems like they want them extremely skinny i don't it seems like a bad uh bad model for for what people should be as humans but hmm is that true is that still a thing it, it seems to be expanding it's easier when all the models are the same size and shape right. because okay. then you can just make all of your things to fit a certain ideology and not have to adjust it for various shapes and sizes isn't that like the hard part of designing women's clothing is that each there's so many different sizes and shapes right correct when patterns back before this time back in like world war one um men's military sizes came in like one two and three right. and that's how the sizing worked like they had to make sizes for military uniforms hmm. and then it slowly evolved to more sizes because men in the military don't come in one two three <laughs> and now it's like one two three or xl one two three i mean there's like six you know yeah. four or five sizes for men and, you know, 30 for women. It's like, I mean, it's still so imbalanced. And, it's and much I'm, more customized to the yeah. individual because as we have grown as society, people have recognized, people have, they want to be recognized as full humans and not one, two, three. Yeah, absolutely. So so that was the literal sizing was one, two, three. They were named. Yeah, I read it somewhere. Okay, like, sure. Yeah, it was. I mean, I'm really simplifying it, but it, but it, it essentially yes. Yeah, just three you just you basically models. got your sizes, and then you just went and you told the um the uniform person what size you were, and they gave you your military uniform. Now it's much more varied. Back then, that might have fit most men. Uh, you know, like a large percentage that would be in the military, and. But yeah, the, the mean, complications are different. Back then. Yeah. Right. What size are they going to be besides, you know, yeah. small to large? Now it's a whole nother thing. But yeah. it's, I mean, in the film, we see custom uh, measurements being taken. And the, the, but she's what was the princess or she's the what was she the wedding dress yeah she was actually wearing her she was wearing her corset her undergarments during mm -hmm. her measurements because they wanted it to fit what she would wear as if when she was wearing um her corseting in her undergarments that mm -hmm. is actually how you take measurements uh when okay you, so you it's not just final. bodies it's it's how you fit and correct and what so you wear. i yeah, so I've made a 
an an 18th century historical gown. And I had to do my measurements based on the corset that goes on my body and how the Mm. gown would fit. So I had to make the corset first for my body and then take my measurements and then make the gown based on the corset. Like that is truly how you do it. I have another costume that involves an obnoxiously wide uh, five foot wide uh, skirt, but the waist is supported with a corset to carry the weight of that monstrosity. Sure. It's wonderful. It's fantastic, <laughs> but it has a very specific shape. And so I had to put the corset on and then do my sizing to know what my, my hips, and my waist were so that mm. the waistband would sit on the corset and not fall off. So it's, it's very precise. I had to do all the measurements, but they, they got that aspect, right? I mean, it was, it is truly historically correct. It seems so hard to do anything, to design anything with clothes, especially. And then about if you women. were to take it off, it's gonna fit differently. <laughs> yeah. But sure. it's she it was her wedding. There was an aesthetic, there was a certain level of um perfection that she was going for. And that wedding dress was stunning. Hmm. Stunning. Oh, when it when it fell and it ripped, I cried a little the very first time I saw it. I it's was really beautiful. That. Yeah. And then every time it keeps happening, I'm just like, no, no, no. The, and you mentioned all the motifs earlier, like the repeating sounds, like in the soundtrack, it's listed, you know, like Phantom Thread, one, two, three, Sandalwood, one, two, you feel the developments or the House of Woodcock, it's like a development on the Phantom Thread sound. And uh, the same things happen like with the shot types, what uh, Anderson and his team are doing here. Uh, there's like repetitions and there's like these buildups to these moments, like the rip dressed. Um, everything's preluded by um, suggestion and like a, uh, it's kind of forecast ahead of time. There's signposts telling you this thing might happen. Like it's setting up a perfection so it could rip it or a meticulous nature so it could break it down. Uh, uh, everything seems balanced and like it's there to be, uh, given a counter against um i just think it's a gorgeous film that's like well balanced in every possible way i mean if it was being foretold for it to rip i did not see it coming the first time <laughs> sure. it could be just me as a viewer just completely enthralled in a moment yeah um but also, me watching films, I just live in the present and the scene. And I, really I feel don't that. That's fine. Um, <laughs> that's I find this to be one of the most absorbing movies, just to like live in for a while. It's right. such a specific place, like you say, time eras. Uh, each this scene, is so, I just yeah. I sit in each scene independently. But also, by the time, and I connect it as I watch it, but I don't like try to overly process it until we get to the ending and then my brain is like well, well hang on let me go backwards yeah <laughs> every I mean, process everything it's textured and fabric and you i mean we want to take a bath in it we want to live in that world we want like the, the audio bath of it as well we want to you know soak in in all the textures of the movies and i i can feel them on the screen and the sounds also have textures and it's beautiful um there's there's really no other movie that fulfills what i need this movie to do when i need to watch this movie it's i would not say that it's a comfort movie that i would just electively choose to watch sure it's it definitely pushes you as a viewer but it is it's one that holds i can sit down and just holds my attention I did appreciate watching it in the winter as opposed to like in the summer when I watched it last time because mm. it was cold and rainy outside when I watched it. That's perfect. And I was like, yeah. I'm like, I can actually feel this more. I can feel the <laughs> the sadness and the darkness of this film more than I'm now watching it here in the winter. Yeah, it sounds like winter to me. And I saw it during winter time and I came in and it was, I believe it was snowing out. And I just went into a theater full of old people and, uh, I'm not. I mean, I I can cry during movies during the right moments. Um, if you go to the screenings with me, I won't embarrass you by sobbing. Um, there's a uh, some. It's a rare time where I I cried because the movie was so good. I I felt so moved just by what was going on on the screen, uh, just by how it looked. I I was so moved to tears, and that doesn't happen. Um, 
well, that's that's never really happened besides this movie. So I, I felt oh, very I'm affected. the opposite. Okay. I went and saw a screening for a, the new Disney movie, Wish, and I cried so much during it for, like, <laughs> tears of joy and, like, different things. Like, you know, I have no shame. Yeah. I'll watch okay. a Hallmark movie for the fifth time, and I know exactly what's going to happen, and I still cry, <laughs> even though I've seen it, like, four times before. Okay, well, if we go to screen, I'll just sympathy cry with you, I guess, because yeah, you don't I, have to. I just I just live in my own. I just yeah. embrace my own things. That's fine. Um, I think it's okay. It's, I think crying is uh, you want an emotional response. Why are you watching it, movies, right? It depends on the response. Sometimes it's yeah. tears of joy. Sometimes it's anger. Sometimes it's uh, sadness. It's, you know, just allowing myself to be moved in that what I love about film is I allow it to move me. And sometimes mm -hmm. I use film to help draw something out of me. This one, <laughs> this dysfunction was actually rather healing because I was like, oh, okay, was let me do some. So, well, that in a way, I was actively going through a breakup as I'm watching of course. it. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I see some dysfunction. Let me do some self reflection on this and realize. Mm -hmm. She chose to stay in her dysfunction and chose to take control and the power struggle versus me. And I'm like, yeah, hmm. no, I don't want that power struggle. I want equality. And at one point, they don't have equality. No. And I see that. And I'm like, I, I can't live that way. Like, it hmm. was just enlightening to watch a what for a time was an unhealthy relationship. And she resorted to weakening him and poisoning him for her to gain that equal like equity and quality i'm like i know I, I i can't i can't do it that makes sense it's like it's, uh hard breakup I mean, movie probably to watch oh there's wires yeah sure but it definitely was like it was just enlightening for me to just see some things and just more of like recognize it and have self-reflection of like she wanted to be needed so badly that she created these moments and she pushed her way in and i was mm -hmm. like yeah i've grown from that i <laughs> yeah no, i'm good i can see this there's so many red flags in the circus going on sure. i'm secure with myself i am happy it's so funny Versus because you're like i watched well, it before i was yeah. It was right before I think my divorce was finalized. Mm -hmm. So it was a whole different mindset than what I am now. So I'm like, wow, like this is some growth I can see in myself. This is amazing. The dysfunction is revealing great things, great qualities in you. So yeah. that's important too. Um, it's funny because you're like, well, she's staying in this executive dysfunction. I'm like, for a man, it's just a pleasure to be dominated. It's like, what the hell is my take? You know, it's like, that's such a weird take to to feel like it's just about like this submissive or domination thing but you're right because it's just a dysfunctional relationship that they both stay in until it kind of well it... they, they find it in the end i mean by the end yeah. they find it but you're, i'm suffering with them through like the second act hmm. and until what he accepts it and she says, trust me. And he does. And then they have a child and they have a relationship. Like they find that balance. But it, it's just it's painful to watch for a while until they find, I mean, it, poisoning somebody is not the way to make it work, but it's how they make it work. It's just so weird. Yeah. Um, and do you think, well, do you think they reach like inequality by that? Whatever means they took to get there. Uh, yes. Maybe he accepts it by the end. Because she, he gets what he needs and then she is allowed to take care of him because she mentions that in, that loving him is a challenge. Mm. And there's a moment where she says you know like when he's when he's weak he allows her to 
take care of him. It, she lives for that moment. Yeah. And that's what she wants. That's what she needs. Mm. And he needs to connect with his mother. I mean, they both find something in that. And it, I guess in a weird way it works for them. I just think it going about to. poisoning somebody isn't the right way to go about it. Is it, but... is it metaphor or, or do you feel like that's what it means? Do you feel like it means that, that the poisoning was, was essential there or I guess I read it as like a metaphor in the relationship, but I think it's more metaphorical. Yeah. For I sure. Think so. I think it represents the wants and needs of the relationship and what happens in their dynamics and, um, I think like her just doing that to him without the poison. I mean, she could she could maybe like find some kind of like uh, a footing in the relationship and and come to where there's equity uh, in some like big dramatic way. But I think poisoning is just good shorthand. I mean, she she did when um, during the first wedding with I think it was the the blue the mostly bluish green dress. Mm-hmm. And he didn't want to go. He went. And then the woman just got utterly demolished in that dress and passed out. And she's like, you don't deserve to wear this dress. Like she showed him his worth and value and convinced him to take the dress literally off her body to take it back. And in she she created that. She pushed him to take it back. Otherwise, he wouldn't have. But she pushed him. She manipulated it. Like it was all her manipulating them, but and then it was empowering because then it brought them closer together. So it wasn't necessary that the poison was essential. It was more of how do they support and strengthen each other? How do they push each other to be their better selves? So the mm. question is, are they are they the better <laughs> selves? Yeah. Does it does it work? Is it is it essential? Have they become better? I mean, I don't. I don't judge how somebody else, if they're not hurting other people and they're consenting, I'm not going to judge. Hmm. But it sounds like at one point he consented and nobody else is physically being hurt in the process. Yeah. And it seems that, I mean, it, I if he consents to the poison in the whole process and, and by the end, end he does, it's a, it seems okay to me. Uh, who am I to get in the way? Of any consenting adults. They're they're doing their life. And in the end, that's the thing. He did consent in the end. Because you can mm. see it, the look on his face. And then they have the conversation in the bathroom. And then he excuses her. Sure. Which was, it was so sweet. It was. It was like, it was like, okay. Absolutely. Like, I'm going to let you care for you, but not like this. Please allow me my privacy. Yeah. And she, she agreed. Like, she didn't force herself to stay. No. She gave him that privacy. So I was like, okay, that is a caring act of love. Like, okay. The small little things. Absolutely. I think it I mean, all my works dog so well. doesn't give me that privacy. My dog just, like, <laughs> follows me wherever I go. Yeah. Yeah, me too. My dog just wants to be by me, and uh, there's no boundaries anymore. He won't allow boundaries. So that's fine. Um, I've accepted. I've consented to him not having a boundary with me. I suppose that's where we are. Yeah, my dog's like, whatever, I'm just going to follow you wherever you go. And if I'm outside the door, I'm going to cry. Oh, yeah. And and I think that should wrap it up. I think we did really good Mm -hmm. discussing the film and the themes. And uh, I'd love for you to come back on. Thank you so much. We got to find the right film. Yeah, absolutely. Where people don't poison each other. (laughs) Maybe, maybe not. As long as they've consented to it, that's fine. Um, I don't know. <laughs> more poisoning. There's not that now. many. There's not that many out there. Yeah. What's the What's the Sofia Coppola one? The um. Jeez, I am blanking at the end of the episode. That's great for editing this all together. <laughs> <laughs> that will be awesome. The Beguiled, a remake of a old Clint Eastwood movie about like these. Oh, women. I haven't seen Beguiled. And they poison this man to like keep him with them to keep the him and like in the house and to have like control and it's like this interesting interplay there so uh maybe that's a movie i thought of a lot the beguiled the dresses are nice too costumes are thoughtful that'd be a first watch for me i haven't seen it (laughs) so maybe more poisoning i don't it doesn't have to be a poisoning movie renee i just appreciate you coming (laughs) on um i'm on a poisoning tangent 
Yeah, I also haven't eaten tonight, so I'm a hungry boy. I think I need to get to my to my meal. <laughs> it's, it's... Okay. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much. No problem. conversations and I post them online for entertainment it's nice to know at least you listen to the show because it's quite the possibility that nobody is listening to me in this modern world things have changed everybody's entertaining who's being entertained thank you for listening Yeah.